0: Hello, welcome again to Sport Unlock, the podcast going through the week's sports news. As ever, if you hit subscribe, we land in your feed automatically when there's a new episode. Listen to me, Rob Harris from Sky News, Martin Ziegler from The Times and Tarek Panja from The New York Times. Well, what a week it's been in the world of football politics. Is it success for Saudi Arabia, success for Gianni Fantino? But is it a success for world football and decision making?
1: Certainly for... Those two places, Gianni Fantino's office up on that hill in, in Zurich, and in the uh, on the streets of Riyadh in the palaces there as well, Rob. Yeah, yeah, we've,
2: the- yeah we've had uh, confirmation effectively that the 2034 World Cup is going to be in Saudi Arabia um, because they're the only bidder. Um, Australia was said that they were considering a bid, but actually that sort of disappeared some time ago, and yeah, the the deadline passed. Australia said that they weren't going to bid and the only bidding nation for the 2034 World Cup is Saudi Arabia.
0: So there is none of the usual big reveal, months-long process. Perhaps some would say it avoids the potential for bidding corruption, all issues with consultants and deals being done. But actually, have all the deals been done in the recent months? As the former FIFA governance chief, Miguel Maduro told me this has all been cooked up at FIFA.
1: It's interesting how, how this has panned out. We've, we've talked on this on this pod about how Saudi Arabia has gone about its business over the last couple of years, signing a bunch of memorandums of understanding with, with all those countries who, who would have had a vote should there have been rival bidders, and that's something that's been celebrated in Saudi Arabia. But, but looking at FIFA as well, it's very hard to look beyond the fact that all the pieces were moved in such a way that what was left was a, a bidding process that essentially favoured one country, Saudi Arabia. Do, do you think? Do you think that's a fair observation?
2: Well, I think it's entirely um, what happened. I mean, the. I mean, if you think back to the sort of start of. September when we did a story about Saudi Arabia was already sort of campaigning for support for a twenty thirty four bid, and people there were saying that actually it, it, that Johnny Infantino had basically set set his stall out and was trying to sort of organise things so that it would fall into place for Saudi Arabia, um, and that Sheikh Salman the AFC president was was sort of doing the same, and it all sort of uh, drops into place because i mean remember we talked about whether they would would actually run the 2034 and 2030 bidding processes together that's exactly what happened and the other um the other thing was nobody else was <clears throat> going to bid because when they announced this very very short deadline just over 3 weeks to register an expression of interest Nobody knew about it. Australia didn't know about it. Indonesia and Malaysia who were talking about a joint bid. I mean, James Johnson had said that it came as a surprise to him, but it wasn't a surprise to everybody.
0: So normally, FIFA insists there is still a process. Uh, Their own communications chief posted very publicly on the X platform. Here's a list linking to all the documents relating to the bidding process and requirements and the assessments that will be done of the bids. But there are no rivals, not only for 2034, but for 2030 as well. And again, as Miguel Maduro said in an interview I did with him uh, this week, whatever assessments will take place now will be meaningless because everyone knows who is going to get it. If people aren't familiar with the name Miguel Maduro. He was the chair of the FIFA Governance Committee from 2016 to 2017, the full first year of the Infantino presidency. And what, he was effectively felt forced out, unable to get the governance changes he wanted through. So although there is the appearance of a process, we have a rapidly curtailed time frame to enter the bidding, which made it prohibitive seemingly to any other countries. There was a 2030 process that combined the two rival bids from three continents together, and then that excluded every continent apart from Asia and Oceania from bidding for 2034 and this process, which all seem to point towards uh, Saudi Arabia.
1: Rob, you mentioned the process there and it's not only the 25 day deadline that was suddenly imposed on countries to express an interest to host the World Cup. There was also a deadline of just a few weeks after that for, um, fully formed bids as well like um the next stage and that requires in 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 democracies at least um really careful thinking because it requires public money often australia don't forget were burned 40 million australian dollars were spent uh for the failed 2022 bid that yielded one vote and a lot of hand-wringing a lot of anger about the fifa process so in such a short window to convince politicians back in, in, in Australia and other democracies to, to join a bidding process, that was always going to be very unlikely. And I, I have not seen a reason at all given for why it had to be so quick. Not only do they want to do it immediately or soon, because it was supposed to be in three years, but why even faster than 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 that, like 25 days and then five weeks? Why Why so fast?
0: And this was all kept within the FIFA Council. So it didn't go to the Congress. And so one of the big reforms after the Blatter era scandals was the World Cup vote no longer being in the closed EXCO as it was now the Council, but taken to the Congress of all 211 member associations. And that's what happened with the 2026 World Cup because we had the rival bids from North America and from Mexico. But the decision to curtail the process here was all taken by the council in recent weeks, which, of course, FIFA point out is democratic. Everyone does get to have a say. But if we think back to that 2026 process, and we were in Bahrain for the Congress that took place in 2017, where we were thinking there would be effective confirmation of North America then for the uh, 2026 World Cup. But what happened was, although the FIFA council gave 3 more months for rival bids to be presented which is again a longer time frame than this it did still have to be as i wrote at the time rubber stamped by the congress later that week and this hasn't gone to the congress this time in in any way only at the final stage to when they've already been presented with the unchallenged bids not anything to do with the process a short time frame um, knocking out rivals combining two bids should you even have a three continent bid
2: there was, a, of course, a, a rival bid for 2026, wasn't there? Morocco. So um, it wasn't a sort of coronation,
0: which this is.
2: Um, that one entered uh, there,
0: didn't it, after the process was extended, if I remember rightly. So it did give them time to, to enter, and they needed a lot yeah. of work and a lot of plans to present as well. But Yeah, exactly. The, but this it hasn't gone to the Congress to even ratify the, pro, the, the short process.
2: No, uh, I suppose FIFA would argue that they still the Congress will still elect the hosts for twenty thirty 2030 and twenty thirty four. Um, but actually, I mean, if you look at what Gian, Gianni Infantino has posted on Instagram, a lot of people would see what in from his post that he says that they're set to host it. So, I mean, if you look at various media internationally. Um, They've just taken that to mean, Infantino confirms, 2030 will be Spain, Portugal, Morocco, and 2034 will be in Saudi Arabia, because he said that's what is set to happen. So I think most people would see that as confirmation.
1: Not just media either, I would say, guys, because as well as that, I mean, the first inkling I got of that was... um, Uh, in the media, in the Arabic media, that Infantino has said Saudi Arabia is going to host the 2034 World Cup, pointing to his Instagram post. But then um, we had a a, a post on social media from a very powerful figure in in the Gulf, uh, Mohammed bin Zayed, the leader of the United Arab Emirates, congratulating Saudi Arabia on on effectively being awarded uh, the right to organise the 2034 World Cup. So even world leaders... We're taking um, that Infantino post to, as a signal that Saudi Arabia is going to host this event. I, I just what a, what a mess in terms of um, sort of announcing this process or what's going to happen next.
0: And what it didn't say with it on Instagram was it's set to host in 2030, set to host in 2034, pending assessments and things like that um, with the the bidding inspections still supposedly meant to take place and the human rights checks, that's certainly the rights groups have been calling for still to be um, part of the process. And, you know, how we characterised it on his Instagram post is the bidding processes were approved by cons- by consensus via the FIFA Council, all six confederations representative, a constructive dialogue, at centre cons- consultation. But on the key part about the... Uh, the World Cups, you know, he did say set to be hosted in the six countries we've talked about for 2030 and Saudi Arabia in 2034. And then you've got the FIFA communications department trying to clean up his comments, trying to say that's not what he said, even though he said it.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's uh, fascinating that that's the tone that the communications department might be trying to take. I mean, for example, look at Marca, the, the Spanish... Um, media website, newspaper that they 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 just took it. Um, maybe they to say they said Gianni Infantino has confirmed this afternoon that the World Cup in Saudi Arabia in twenty thirty four will take place.
1: Yeah, and the issue as well. We haven't had a chance to ask Gianni Infantino anything at all. Not this week when when this sole bidder for twenty thirty four has been confirmed. Not four or five weeks ago when this. Um, double award of 2030 and 2034 was was um, announced uh, after the FIFA council meeting. We he just, in terms of interaction or asking direct questions to the FIFA leadership, we are almost in in a blackout. It seems like at the moment, emails to press officers, and you may get something back on, a, on an email email statement. Uh, you may not get an answer to the specific question you've sent either. But there is no direct communication with leadership at the moment?
0: But I mean, it can be quite challenging maybe for that communications department because they're a step removed from what the leadership's doing perhaps and even posting on Instagram and maybe they're then told to try to limit the negative perceptions yet they're not in control of the main message itself and perhaps it puts those PR professionals in a difficult position as they're left trying to reinterpret what was said on Instagram but it does come down to how that instagram is used we talked in the past about you get tributes after deaths you get concerns after instance like in leon with the crowd disorder that we can post on instagram stories which disappear after 24 hours and you know one of the talking points we hear around fifa is about why he doesn't do more press conferences in fact is because they think his words will be somehow Um, distorted or some agendas will be seized on and he'll come out of it badly from questions that have been asked in press conferences. And yes, he did give me an interview in Sydney at the end of the Women's World Cup. That's one thing. But on the point on thinking that he comes out badly from press conferences, from from the media actions, well, actually all the issues Yanni Fantino's had in recent years are from speeches he's made himself, comments he's chosen to make on stages, often giving speeches. So it was in 2022 in the January when he was at the Parliamentary Assembly of the Council of Europe, when he said that perhaps um, there should be biennial World Cups. What he said was, we need to find ways to include the entire world to give hope to Africans so that they don't need to cross the Mediterranean in order to find maybe a better life, but more probably death in the sea. There was a lot of criticism for that. He taught then a speech as well in, a soft on-stage appearance in Los Angeles uh, ahead of the Qatar World Cup about migrant workers getting pride from their hard work. Then there was the speech in Sydney at the end of the World Cup when he told women to pick the right fights and pushing the doors in terms of equality. And, of course, that big speech in Qatar uh, before the start of the Men's World Cup about uh, the I Feel speech. But they're all things that he said, not resulting from media questions.
2: The, you know, the, we were in Kigali, in Rwanda, for the for that speech where he referred to how he'd been inspired to run by President because of the having visited the memorial for the the victims in of the Rwanda massacre. Um, but you know, I don't. I think if people at the top of world sport are, are sort of running scared of speaking to the media, um, then that says more about them. I mean, for Thomas Barker, I don't, you know, we, we, we're sort of equally forensic about uh, how we um, look at what the ISE does. Thomas Barker, you know, he, he does speak to the media. He does, he will put himself forward. He, he won't always answer the question very well, but he will actually go out there. I, I think I was trying to remember the last time I was able to ask a question of Gianni Infantino on FIFA issues. Um,
0: and. Well, so you say uh, that because we're at the IFAB. Meeting was that um, in early March, International Football Association Board press conference, all about the rules of the game, and effectively, you know, we stuck to the agenda of the day, asking things interlinked to the laws of football, and you did as well. But actually, maybe it's every right to ask anything you want to, since he's there.
2: Yeah, I mean that was that was laid down. We will only only answer questions about IFAB. So I had to ask him something about. Off size or VARs, well, actually, there are plenty of other things I would prefer to have asked him. So that on FIFA issues, I think it's twenty eighteen was the last time I actually had an opportunity to to ask him a question.
1: There's a broader broader issue here as well, um, one of leadership. That in the world we live in, communication is a major part of. Of, of a leader's role, right? And he's representing the world's most popular sport with all those millions of supporters, millions of players, and and and, um, and the members, 211 FIFA members, just having that all behind closed doors isn't a sign of, um, you know, strong, transparent leadership. Let's not forget why Gianni Infantino became FIFA president. It was after a major scandal in, in 2015 that removed the previous, FIFA administration, this was supposed to be a new, transparent, uh, very much uh, democratic uh, organisation. And the second point here I just want to make is in the previous regime, after these FIFA council meetings, they were called FIFA executive committees, there was always a press conference. There was always a press conference where where Sepp Blatter um, uh, and his general secretary, Jerome Valk at the time, would would show up. And... um, they were quite feisty um, um, meetings often, but they happened. And this, in these days, we have Zoom. It's even easier to have a, a, a press conference than ever before. The technology is here to just, you know, get on a computer and, and, and just answer questions. It might not be comfortable, but isn't that, isn't that what you're supposed to do?
0: And what Zoom allows is for a wide variety of questions from across the world. So, although... You do want to ensure that it's worthwhile journalists going to an event itself. But since Gianni Infantino talks about, you know, uniting the world through football and often it's not just being about Europe, then you can have journalists who perhaps don't have the resources or the distances too far to, to go to this press conference. And I find that often very interesting because you get a different perspective. You get that particular local issue or regional issue that's brought into life in, in the press conference rather than we do have a certain perspective on how we're viewing the game and the countries we're focused on um, quite notably. I'll just go back to we were talking about Gianni Fantino's own comments. He was at the Asian Confederation remotely himself talking of Zoom a couple of weeks ago and while he was there he actually said on the 2030 World Cup which will take place in talking about Spain, Morocco, Portugal and Uruguay, Paraguay and Argentina. Not set to or even any process he said will take place in yet Technically, they still have to go through the bidding assessments. So, an example with his own words there, where he uh, undercut the supposed processes.
2: If you're the FIFA Communications Department and John Infantino and the General Secretary, you'll you probably be frustrated because you think, oh, you know, all we're trying to do is do stuff for the good of the game. We get terrible publicity. But I think they need to like, take a, a sort of broad look. I mean, if you look at on social media or comments um on media websites, a lot of people think that actually FIFA has sort of gone backwards. Um and you know what is meant to be a sort of brave new world it hasn't happened. And there's a lot of, you know, people who were who aren't sort of involved in it, just it's sort of basically just readers, bystanders, fans, who are very, very negative about it. And I think that is a Something that FIFA really should think about because when they do things like this, when they, it just basically looks like this is a sort of reward for Saudi Arabia um, for uh, being very supportive financially and in other ways of FIFA. So, you know, whether we talk about sponsorships or um, hosting Club World Cups, promising to sort of put lots large amounts of money towards FIFA, that's a big problem. And, uh, I don't think um, trying to pretend it's uh, you know that this is everything is being done according to the book, and um, the, you know, the FIFA Congress will still be electing the the hosts, and this isn't a sort of stitch up. I don't think that sort of anyone accepts that particularly.
0: You can say the Sounders have played it absolutely brilliantly in recent years. They wooed Gianni Fantino, He's been enchanted by this association with the powerful with Mohammed bin salman of being welcomed into their circles of being as being treated almost as an equal and what they've been doing is gradually building up that support within fifa and their importance to secure a process without a vote and also getting a world cup 11 years out all this time to prepare uh, none of this need for going around the world fighting for votes they've Done a lot of sponsorship deals and MOUs, haven't they, um, with various FAs? But uh, they've they've managed to get FIFA to create a process. It would appear that helps them.
1: It's a it's a short circuiting of, of the process, and you know the huge celebrations in Saudi Arabia, in in the media there, and I'm sure uh, behind the scenes. And why wouldn't there would be? They they've managed to get the you know premier tournament in the world's most popular sport to
0: their home country. And England, the UK, have done similar. We've seen it in the way that they got the bulk of the games at Wembley for Euro 2020 with you know various helpful um, political deals and conversations and relationship buildings. It's how they got a clear path eventually for Euro 2028 for the UK and Ireland. Wembley's also had the Champions League final in 2011, uh, 2013. again. Next year as well, so you know it's not just a country like Saudi Arabia that will um try to gain support within the corridors of power to get favorable hosting outcomes but uh you know w- we have seen it with uh, Saudi Arabia this time
2: i mean, I think the remarkable thing about Saudi Arabia is that six years ago nobody would have thought they were had Any sort of chance of that because they were just they were just there was you know international sports Saudi Arabia just wasn't a thing. This incredible campaign that has has taken place since twenty seventeen, call it what you want, um, sport washing or huge investment, Um, it's a remarkable turnaround um, from that point of view. Play the game. Did some research this week. Something like three hundred and thirteen sports sponsorships by Saudi Arabia now, and more than a hundred of those are international. Um, and so, it, this sort of building this this huge web of of influence and power, and everybody now is sort of loads and loads of sports are sort of in hock um, to the Saudis, one way or another. And um, you know, I'm sure that the Crown Prince. be Mohammed bin Salman will be sitting back and thinking,
0: job done. Could it be viewed as Saudi Arabia redistributing some of its wealth to help the game globally, as UEFA does with various projects beyond Europe as well, with financing them?
2: Well, but this is a country, isn't it? It's not like a sports organisation, isn't it? I mean, I think there's only one thing that they want, and that's that's influence and um, the ability to... Have a, have a big part in prestigious tournaments, whether it's world tournaments or Asian tournaments. Um, every Everything is a, is a go-out. And uh, I think it'll be interesting to see, will they now try and turn their focus to the Olympics?
1: Rob, thanks for providing that much-needed balance on this pod. Um, but what I would say here is we shouldn't be looking at Saudi Arabia Specifically, it's the organisations, whether it's FIFA or these other sports federations in the IOC, and we get back to this central point here of um, all these roles they have. Event organiser, governing body, and distributor of <clears throat> enormous amounts of money to to sports, and whether that model, which has existed for decades, is fit for purpose, I Obviously, when things like this happen, when 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 processes are short-circuited, it looks like the the person at the top, be it a man or woman or whoever, is, is in charge, has a lot of power, and um, statutes or rules um, that they have are often uh, and processes not followed. Um, and it comes at a really interesting moment, doesn't it? Because there's a really important court case, the European Court of Justice, which was looking at the um, european model the uefa model and the fifa model as a result of the super league breakaway um is due to decide its outcome on december the 21st now when you look at what's happened here with fifa and and the world cup bids it it does focus the minds on whether that you know whether the current structures are fit for purpose i would argue
0: there is a counterpoint as we had on the pod A couple of weeks ago, the FIFA vice president, CONCAF president, Victor Montaliani, who was arguing for that executive model of decision-making to be part of the process. So it is the leadership that gets to decide where the next World Cups will all be because it's so integral to the revenue of the organisation. We see it in F1. These are commercial deals that are done. There is no open bidding process. And it's part of the the way of guaranteeing the, the finances down the line. Although what this reinforces to me, by the way, it's not an opinion, but you can state factually that FIFA's priority is on men's football. Categorically, FIFA cares more about men's football. How do we know? Because we know where the Men's World Cup will be in 2026, 2030 and 2034. The next Women's World Cup is in 2027 and a host won't be decided until three years out. And there are none of the hosts going forward. So it undoubtedly shows where the priorities are ninety five percent
1: of its revenues, Sir uh, Victor Montegliani was saying the the other day, come from from that men's World Cup. Um, so again, money also is a major priority for them clearly in, in, in what you said. Just on Formula One, Rob, you, you said Formula One there. Don't forget Formula One is split between the people who run Formula One and the and the governing body, the FIA. That 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 is a uh, difference to to what we have in in football and many other sports, where you have a separate governing body. Um, just just to point that out. And the FIA have often
0: been seen to struggle in terms of the power that they have in with the Formula One commercial side, haven't they?
1: Yeah, we we, we we've seen that whether those linkages are too close, etc. I, I just I just think it's an important time to kind of recalibrate this model, guys, where it seems money talks.
2: Um. I just wanted to ask you what you thought about the the process now for 2034 and 2030. So one of the big things which has been brought in um, since John Infatina became president is this thing about human rights having to be assessed for a bid. Um, now, How do you think that is going to go for Saudi Arabia? Because I think it's fair to say there's some challenges there.
0: Well, I'm intrigued by the fact we've gone what 25 minutes on this pod more than that without mentioning human rights issues notably and maybe creating all these discussion points around the process it's helpful the fact there's less of a focus on those rights issues so we had it for the 2026 process where actually under some pressure i put them in to publish them they published the human rights assessments they conducted for both morocco and then mexico canada the us and exposed the risk so when Morocco is things like anti-LGBTQ laws, in Mexico is violence towards women, in the US, discrimination that can be faced. Saudi Arabia is a country where same sex relations are illegal, like in Qatar, and this is meant to be against the FIFA statute. So how do they navigate that? Or do they effectively because what they're having to produce is human right risk mitigations, FIFA just accept well, the mitigations do say that they will treat all fans equally and everyone's welcome and, and that is accepted. Which some see problematically is because underlying that is the anti-LGBT legislation that exists in the country. But at the same time, it has to be balanced out the fact it is a conservative Muslim nation, and how does FIFA impose on a country changing laws? and you know, we do have, as we've sent last things like cricket tournaments taking place in countries with anti-LGBT legislation and there isn't that same pressure from the likes of Amnesty in any way we don't get press release from them as we do from them on Saudi Arabia unprompted around FIFA
2: yeah there's I mean I think also there are sort of political freedom questions um I mean there's some pretty shocking cases of some people who've been given incredibly long jail sentences just for tweeting criticism of, of of the rulers of Saudi Arabia now is that something which FIFA is going to be comfortable with
1: when you say that you mean two decades or more in jail for retweeting <laughs> let alone actually sending um a, a, a post yeah um I just, you, the things you know it's going to be there. I mean, we're having, it's all moot, isn't it? You know, if I was to ask you guys, where do you think the 2034 World Cup is? It's going to be in Saudi Arabia, wherever the human rights situation is. And that's kind of the, the farce of a lot of this. You know, even if they go through this process, they have to pretend now to go through the process. That's going to be a load of money that they're going to spend. Bid assessments are going to do all of that. But we all know, what the outcome will be. There is no way FIFA will not give the 2034 World Cup to Saudi Arabia. It's, it's a bit of a, it feels like a partial situation now. There's a timeline, there's going to be this announcement at the um, next uh, Q4 of, of, of 2024 when, when, when this bid will be announced. And in that time, a lot of um, inspections will take place, a lot of papers will be written. But what, what is the point of all of that when we know it's a foregone conclusion?
0: I wonder if this is a reaction to, perhaps as FIFA might see it, the pitfalls of good governance. So we had it ahead of the 2022 World Cup when that plan was floated by Gian Infantino to spread the World Cup across other countries in the region. And this was in, what, 2019 he came up with this plan. And he did say there would be a feasibility study, which even before it started, we knew some of the other countries, like Kuwait, uh, Bahrain didn't have the stadiums ready. They'd have to be building work required. And the feasibility study eventually showed, well, it doesn't work. You can't spread the World Cup at this late stage beyond Qatar. Perhaps he would view now that if he'd gone about that a different way, rather than doing it so openly, then he could have got it through anyway. We had it with the biennial World Cup where they announced this feasibility study where actually everything unraveled over many months with a lot of criticism. And now they've just worked out a way of behind the scenes, getting it done and effective agreements.
2: Who suggested that there should be that feasibility study into buying a World Cup?
0: Saudi Arabia nominee, wasn't it? At the uh, the Congress in 2021? Then FIFA denied knowing anything about it. Nothing to do with them.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you mentioned the the issue of um, migrant labour. These stadiums in in Saudi Arabia in 2034, one of the infrastructure will need to be built. The issues that Qatar faced, you know, in Saudi Arabia and on steroids there as well, we're going to have exactly the same process. you are going to write the same stories. There's going to be the same Nepalese, Bangladeshi, Indian, Ghana, you know, Ghanaian African workers who are going to be sent to to this place who need to go there to earn a living for their families are going to be living under these standards and these hand-wringing articles. But guess what? The World Cup is going to be in Saudi Arabia in 2034.
0: And turning to a post on X by the Swedish journalist Noah Buckner uh, from Expressen, he said Infantino making football truly global, quoting his own words, listing 2017 Club World Cup UAE, 2018 Club World Cup UAE, 2019 Club World Cup Qatar, 2020 Club World Cup Qatar, 2021 Club World Cup UAE, 2022 World Cup Qatar on Congress, 2023 Club World Cup and World Cup 2034, and E World Cup Saudi 2024, Beach Soccer World Cup UAE. <laughs> That's brilliant. Brilliant. There was a reply to him, you know, question if he was just picking on a certain region saying, yes, the under 20 World Cup though is in Argentina, Women's World Cup 2023, New Zealand, Australia, under 17 World Cup, Men's in Indonesia, Club World Cup 2022, Morocco, uh, Futsal 2024, Uzbekistan 2026, World Cup for men in the USA, Canada and Mexico. So what a look that has all been for us at FIFA. And perhaps it comes back to that statement made as we wrap up from just last week, where FIFA said that they now have the highest ethical and governance standards. Thoughts?
1: If they think so, it must be true.
2: I look forward to reading about it on Instagram.
0: Absolutely, we'll keep an eye from there. And um, one final word, on um, as we focus so heavily on the 2013-2034 World Cup process, this has been a week when one of the major media outlets in the world of sport has had a change. Uh, inside the Games, one that so many rely on for sports news around the Olympic world in particular, a change of ownership and uh, departure of long-standing uh, leadership.
2: Yeah, um, Duncan Mackay set this up. Um uh, uh, very respected Guardian journalist set this up a, in the build up to London 2012, being very successful. But they would take it over. I mean, he, I did a story a few months ago, um, saying that actually the the, the owners of this website are unbeknown to um the, the previous owners. The the new majority shareholders actually had links to Russia and um the uh, the International Boxing Associations Russian president. So. Uh, um, I'm not surprised that they probably thought that they might try that. There's so
1: a, a lot of good journalists that have passed through there as well. Good young journalists, Nick Butler, Liam Morgan, and Michael Pabot, to name a few. Um, and they they've the, the journalist cohort left overnight. I understand after the takeover as well. So, um, an end of an era for sure.
0: Yeah, many good journalists who are on the search for their next opportunities who've. Uh, had some great success in their reporting at Inside the Games. Uh, we wish them well, and uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to us. It's been very heavily focused on FIFA. Hopefully, we've managed to explain some of the the processes or the way we've ended up with these World Cups, or are set to.
2: Yeah, it's a fascinating topic, isn't it, guys? And It's been great talking about it with you.
0: And thank you, everyone, for listening. And you can send your feedback at Sport Lots on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can send it anonymously. All those comments are welcome. For now, thank you for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.